The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the CASA Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to thank Rosemary Chalmers for sitting in for me last week, and also the faculty and students at the University of Tulsa for their hospitality. Uh, this was the first time that I had an opportunity to visit the University of Tulsa, and uh, I just want to say that the campus was just as impressive as the faculty, the curriculum, and all the students that I had a chance to meet there. Um, but Shortly after I returned, uh, I heard about the attack on the Boston Marathon, and I'm going to admit to you that it hit me very hard, and I know your reaction was similar to mine. Why? 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 What possible reason could there be to kill runners and children and parents who have no axe to grind with anyone? Well, today we're going to try to get to the bottom of that question. My guest on the program is internationally respected expert on terrorism, and she's going to help us get into the minds of perpetrators of mass violence, such as the bombings that we just witnessed in Boston. In just a moment, Dr. Anne Speckard will be joining us on the program. Uh, before she does, let me mention that Speckhard grew up in the quiet, peaceful neighborhood of Wausau, uh, Wisconsin. And since those carefree days, Speckhard has personally interviewed more than 400 terrorists in addition to their supporters, families, friends, and even their hostages with the goal of trying to understand what turns a terrorist into a terrorist. In addition to writing numerous books on the subject, including her latest, Talking to Terrorists, Speckhard was responsible for the design of the Defense Department's detainee rehabilitation program, which oversaw some 20,000 security detainees held by U.S. forces in Iraq. Speckhard served as the chair of NATO's Human Factors and Medicine Research Task Group and several other NATO committees, as well as the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. From Lebanon, Israel, and Iraq to Russia, Belgium, and Morocco, Speckhard has been helping experts understand the psychology of terrorism and how to help the public build up resiliency for what are likely to be more attacks. Today, Dr. Speckhard is an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Medical Center. It is my great pleasure to welcome an expert who has dedicated her life to examining the minds of terrorists, as well as the short and long-term repercussions their attacks have on innocent victims. Dr. Ann Speckhardt, thank you for being with us today, Dr. Speckhardt. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, there's news breaking every minute, every hour on the hunt for the Boston Marathon bombers as authorities continue to piece together physical evidence on the scene, videos, cell records, and zero in on these perpetrators. Uh, so let me start by asking you what your first thoughts were when you heard what had happened. I mean, what was your immediate impression? Well, of course, I was saddened, just like you. 
Um, I wasn't that shocked because I have expected that we're going to see something here in the U.S. eventually. Al-Qaeda for a long time has been instigating for Muslims inside the U.S. to rise up. I don't think we have a real disgruntled uh, Muslim population in the U.S., but all the same, they have been instigating for that, and we have seen some acts that most of them uh, thankfully thwarted. My initial thoughts were that it was a right-wing militia um, because it was in Boston, because it was on tax day, and uh, wasn't there something with Liberty Day? I can't remember. Patriot, yeah, Patriot Day. Patriot Mm -hmm. Day. Yeah, so it made me wonder if it was going to be a right-wing militia. But now that I've heard that it's Chechens, of course, my thoughts are very different. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the first pieces of news that were confirmed was the fact that these attackers used pressure cooker bombers. And as I understand it, the pressure cookers were filled with ball bearings, sharp metal and wire, which would become dangerous projectiles when the pressure cooker exploded. So you're an expert who has spoken to terrorists all over the world. Is there anything about this kind of pressure cooker bomb that would make you sus- uh, be suspect that this is the work of a foreign terrorist group? No, not necessarily. But I would say what's much more important to me is the mindset. And, you know, we're a country that um, really these people should be so thankful that we took them in. We took them in on asylum. We made them safe where the father I'm hearing was tortured um, by, by Russians. But what we do have to remember is that when we take people in from war and torn countries, they do carry traumas on their souls. And from what I know of Chechens, and Chechens in the main are wonderful, peaceful people that educate their children. They, they're they very family-oriented. They're good people. But, of course, if you traumatize an entire population, you're going to get some that are going to resonate to extremist groups. And what we're seeing here is that even when they're removed far away from the war zone, many years um, uh, later, those traumas are still active in their souls. And a terrorist ideology and a terrorist group can play upon that. Well, well, this is something that I I am very concerned with. I'm concerned with what I call legacy terrorism, where you you weren't directly tortured, you didn't have the direct experience, but you're, you're the descendants of those who did. Right. Well, think about it. I mean, uh, probably people in your audience can, uh, better identify with if they had a veteran as a father, if they saw someone come back from war deeply damaged or traumatized, that affects them too. Of course it affects the child. And if you're uh, growing up in a Chechen family, I would imagine you'd have a daily diet of terrible stories of things that the Russians did. And that was it started out as a secular uprising for independence. And it was at a time when Ukraine, Belarus, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, all these countries got their independence. And Chechens didn't understand, because we're inside the Russian Republic uh, Federation, we can't get our independence, but everybody else can. And they felt abandoned by the West. So their secular movement was infiltrated by Middle Eastern money and Middle Eastern ideology, the militant jihadi ideology that's part of Al-Qaeda. And then they drew close to the Al-Qaeda mindset and and fought with a martyrdom ideology using suicide terrorism, making mass hostage takings in Beslan and in, in Moscow where they took over the um, theater with 800 hostages. But they didn't start that way. They They... 
slowly, slowly got the martyrdom ideology, and they also never directed it towards us. They directed it towards Russia. But now these groups have mixed. Um, Chechens have been active in Europe. They've been active in Pakistan. They've been active in Afghanistan because there's a huge diaspora fleeing the war, and they're infected with this militant jihadi ideology, which then uh, uh, widens the enemy and says, um, it's a narrative that says Muslims worldwide are under attack, and the Western, they say, Christian powers are the ones doing it, and we have to fight them. So somehow this kid got pulled into that mindset, which is such a pity. If his traumas had been dealt with correctly, if he'd gotten help, and the help came from an extremist group in a very sick way, and now it's going to end in his life. Either he ends up in prison for his life, or he ends up... Uh, in his sick mode of martyrdom. Well, I heard an interview with his uncle uh, just a few hours ago, and his uncle said that both boys were very gentle, uh, kind, uh, active kids, uh, great students, played soccer. There was nothing to indicate that they were on this path to violence. And he and he made a statement which speaks uh, to your to your work. And we're going to talk a little bit about your work here in the next segment. But he made a statement. He said someone got into their minds. Exactly. He said someone that's, that's, told them something. Someone made them believe something because it was inconceivable to him that these boys would suddenly become uh, actors in a in a violent theater. And, and it seems to me that these militant jihadi ideologists uh, they get into where there's mass malcontent. They know where the soil is ripe to plant their seeds, don't they? That's exactly right. They exploit vulnerabilities. They exploit pain. Um, in Europe, they'll go after people that are of Moroccan or Algerian or Tunisian descent and say, you're not being accepted into this community, which is true. They're not. There is prejudice against you. Um, you should join us because we want you. You can be a hero for all Muslims. Here, I think it's a much harder sell, but they could sell it to somebody probably from Chechnya because they could play on their traumas. And I also heard that the father is living back in Dagestan and that the son went back. So if he went back, he probably was in direct contact with extremist groups. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, we, we have to hope and pray that this gets resolved without any further damage to any other human life. Uh, and, uh, and so we've got our fingers crossed that they are able to arrest the, the last suspect. But I'm not sure that it's going to quite end there. We have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk about the different mindset that terrorists have inside conflict zones and those who are not part of a conflict zone. You're listening to the Costa Report. This Legal Minute is brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Experienced attorneys providing professional legal services to the Central Coast for 85 years. Hello, this is attorney Stephen Wagner with your Legal Minute. Have you ever said to yourself there ought to be a law for that? Well, often there is. For instance, when it comes to liability for what an employee says or does. When you hire a person, are you responsible or liable for everything they do while they're on the job? Picture this scenario. Assume that the employee, while delivering pizza, negligently runs a red light and collides with another car, injuring all occupants. Well, you might be thinking that the employee is at fault, and of course you would be correct. After all, the employee was driving, right? But the employee was likely driving for the benefit of the employer, and it is this factor that may make the employer liable. 
the action would center on what is commonly known as course and scope analysis. If the injured party can show that at the time of the collision the employee was engaged in conduct that benefited the employer, the employer may be liable. Of course, this is a fact-sensitive inquiry, and there may be facts to support that the employee took a detour or did something not reasonably contemplated by the company. And that very issue is often a point of contention. So, like most everything in life, the facts control the outcome. Is there a moral to this story? Yes. Employers should engage in prudent hiring practices, background checks, and ongoing supervision, all as consistent protocol. This is Stephen Wagner, and that's your Legal Minute. Brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Selected in 2013 as one of the top law firms in the United States by Martindale Hubble. Welcome to Automated Computer Services, America's most drawn-out tech support line. One moment, please. At any time during this recording, you may press the 5 key should you feel so inclined. Press 1 for Spanish, 2 for Bushman, 4 for a remote dialect in Peru, 5 for English, 6. If you know your party's extension, please wait for your opportunity to dial it. If you'd like to speak with a human, you've called the wrong number. If you've reached this message after hours, please return to the secondary main sub-menu by pressing the pound key seven times, followed by the eight key. If you feel you've reached this recording in error, we wish you better luck next time. Tired of unfriendly computer support? If you're having a computer problem, call the friendly computer experts at User-Friendly Computing. Viruses? Spyware? No problem. We take care of all your PC, Macintosh, and laptop needs. Visit us today at 505 River Street on the way to downtown Santa Cruz, across from Gateway Plaza. Call us today at 423 423- 9653. User-friendly computing. Come one, come all to Omega News 23rd Annual Ducky Derby Saturday, April 27th from 1030 to 330 at Harvey West Park in Santa Cruz. You can adapt the duck at duckyderbysantacruz.org. Bring the kids out for fun carnival games, delicious food, great entertainment, and of course ducky races with great prizes. 100% of proceeds benefit local Santa Cruz charities and provide scholarships to local kids. Join us rain or shine for the 23rd Annual Ducky Derby April 27th at Harvey West Park. Sponsored by KSCO Radio and Omega New. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is internationally acclaimed terrorist expert Dr. Ann Speckhart. And before the break, you were making the point that many times these perpetrators of terrorism can be shown to have lived through difficult and extremely stressful environments, which those who have militant ideologies, they opportunistically jump on top of these uh, these environments, and they give people some hope that they could... Um, be accepted that they could achieve something of greatness 
and it's exactly the thing that they're missing. And uh, and by providing that, they're able to recruit them. So after personally interviewing hundreds of terrorists, uh, you've determined that the things which motivate and activate a terrorist in a conflicted area like Libya or Iraq are somewhat different from those who motivated terrorists in a non-conflict area, such as the United States or even Belgium. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, Rebecca, if you're if you're in, um, let's say, the West Bank or Gaza, and a soldier comes in and accidentally kills one of your best friends, um, you might want to revenge. You you might want to kill somebody just because um, you've seen the death. If you're in Chechnya and someone's tortured your father, for instance, um, you might want to revenge. But if you're in Belgium and you've never seen death, no one's been tortured, there's going to be a different set of motivations. It's not going to be trauma-driven or revenge-driven. It's going to be more um, if you went to a job interview and they said, Fatima, um, we'd like to hire you, but with an Islamic name like that, we never could. Or Jawal, I'm sorry, but we don't hire um, people of Moroccan descent, and you'd have to change your name. Um, those kind of things, or in Belgium, I saw all the time that um, kids of Moroccan descent would be turned away from the bars systematically. They would go, five or six of them, uh, to go out clubbing at night, and the white kids would get in, and the Moroccan kids wouldn't. Um, that can create an anger. Here, I think that we have a pretty good life for everybody. I mean, we're not totally equal. Some people get ahead much easier than others. But we, we embrace our immigrants. Um, I always like to say I'm very proud of the U.S. Um, that Zal Khalazad, who came out of Afghanistan in his lifetime as a refugee, then became the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. I mean, what other country could that happen in? I don't think there's another country where that's possible. And we hear about these success either. stories every day. And right. yet the image that we have is that, you know, there's there's almost a discrepancy between the opportunities that you have when you come into this country and then the way that we're perceived by the rest of the world. Right. And what happens is with terrorism, it's not just trauma, like in the case of these Chechen boys. It's not just trauma. It's that you have to be somehow introduced to an ideology that justifies killing civilians. Because we all know it's always wrong to attack civilians. But somehow they get talked into that you're in some kind of a cosmic war and the regular decencies and normalities of life are set aside and you can attack civilians, which every religion in the world says is wrong and every theory of war says is wrong. And um, so they got exposed to an ideology. Maybe the older brother got exposed in Dagestan, we don't know. Um, maybe the father himself uh, uh, got into an extremist ideology, I don't know. But I would imagine if you saw your father coming home after being tortured, it would put a hole in your soul and you would be vulnerable to someone playing with that and saying, look, you can fight back. But then they widened the target and said you can fight back against Americans where we have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. We have nothing to do with what happened in their lives. 
And well, the, the, uh, the thing that struck me most about your research and also your latest book, uh, Talking with Terrorists, is that the birth of a terrorist requires a, a certain convergence of factors. First, right. there's an actual group that has an identity and, and it functions. And the second is that there's an ideology which, as you point out, justifies attacking innocent civilians. And then right. third, there's some level of social support. And last, which is I find to be the most interesting, is that the the individual who's recruited has to have some vulnerability, some susceptibility. I'm so honored that you read my book so carefully. Thank you, Rebecca. I, I think it's a fantastic it. book. I want I want everyone to go out and get Talking with Terrorists because I don't know any writers that have actually sat down and interviewed terrorists and where it's coming from an empirical place. And I think it's very important with everyone being very fear-driven right now to get facts. And so I'm, I'm honored that you're on the program and the book is fantastic. I hope more people will go out and get it. So let's talk about that vulnerability. Is that, do you, you know, you kind of paint the case here that that's a possibility for these two brothers well what i think i mean we've seen this happen in the states before we saw the somalian kids um who when people asked me years ago will we have suicide terrorism in the states i said if we do it it will be among the somalian refugees in minnesota and i was right they didn't attack inside the u.s they joined al-shabaab but al-shabaab lists us americans as a target and they became suicide bombers over in Somalia. And the way it worked for them is they came out of a war-torn country as well. Um, they probably had a daily diet of stories looking back home. They probably had a longing for back home, lots of, of pain and mixed-up feelings. And someone from Europe of Somali descent came and glorified it and said um, he had been in jihad and it was such an amazing thing. And these kids in Minnesota... Um, were described to me as blacker than black, that they couldn't fit in with the black kids, they weren't doing well in school. So they had lots of reasons for looking for something, some way to succeed in life because the normal pathways weren't working for them. And then they were exposed to a group, they were exposed to an ideology, it was very glorified, it met some of their needs of going back and kind of figuring out where they'd come from, and they went off and uh, some of them killed themselves while killing others. In the Chechen kids' uh, story, we have a much prettier story, which is so sad that they were integrating, that they were doing great, that their friends loved them, their coaches loved them, they were doing well in school, they were getting scholarships. They sound like really lovely kids, but someone came and played with a hole in their soul. Someone came and twisted this and said, this pain, this is happening to other people. You need to do something about it. And instead of do something good, do something evil. Well, I think you point out, a, I mean, you make a good distinction. Many times we find that the actors are uh, in, in these kinds of crimes are outcasts. They're either lone wolves or they feel unaccepted, and then they get accepted mm -hmm. by these militant groups, and they find a social group that they can identify with, and, and, uh, and they find support for acting out against innocent civilians. But in this particular case, we seem to have a case where two brothers were assimilating. I think um, I haven't heard all the news stories yet, so I don't want to misquote, mm -hmm. but I did hear uh, when I was giving an interview with Rita Cosby, she read that, um, that the older brother had been back to Dagestan. And when I heard that, if that's true, 
I think that alone could be such a radicalizing factor. Because if he went back and met with the extremist groups, the things that happened in Chechnya and the things that happened in Dagestan, when the Russians uh, put down their heavy fist, it is so awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, people from Chechnya told me so many stories. I had a Chechen living in my house for a year. She was the sister of my research colleague. And day after day, she would tell me stories of her students that had been kidnapped and their fingernails pulled out or they just disappeared, um, of tortures that happened. The kids that went and uh, took hostages in Beslan, they had witnessed rapes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have to take another break here. But when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the possible indoctrination that would have happened if he had returned. You're listening mm-hmm. to the Costa Report. Be part of the conversation and join us on Facebook. Take advantage of special opportunities and interesting insight while sharing your thoughts on the topics discussed on the Costa Report and beyond. Like us at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca D. Costa. That's facebook.com forward slash Rebecca D. Costa. Next week on Rebecca Costa's Facebook page, she'll be rolling out the Mighty Minute, a chance for you to have 60 seconds all your own to share your thoughts, insights, and ideas on her nationally syndicated radio show, The Costa Report. Like Rebecca's Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca DeCosta for more information and to find out how to share your Mighty Minute with millions of listeners across the country. Join us at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca DeCosta. If you want to work until you drop, reduce your standard of living in retirement or lose more of your hard-earned money in the stock market, then just ignore me. But if you'd like to generate a steady, predictable income, I'm talking real wealth and financial security for as long as you live, then listen to this. A free report is now available that reveals the money-making secrets Wall Street and the banks don't want you to know. This report reveals how you can get guaranteed growth, safety, and wealth-building power without risking your hard-earned money in the Wall Street casino. How you can bypass banks and credit cards and become your own source of financing. And how to get the money you need when you need it, simply by asking for it. This is the best way to have a 100% secure retirement and know your money will last as long as you do. And it beats the pants off any IRA or 401k. To learn more about this method and to get your free special report, visit bankonyourself.com right now. That's bankonyourself.com. www.bankonyourself.com. Props Restaurant and Lounge is open now at the Watsonville Airport. That's right. There's a brand new watering hole ready to serve you seven days a week for lunch and dinner located right at the Watsonville Airport. Easy to reach and what a wonderful destination it is. Prime rib special every Wednesday night. What a bargain and only $14. Steak, seafood, pasta dishes, a terrific burger, all kinds of wonderful things, plus great appetizers, specialty burgers, There's even a kid's menu and small plates after 5 p.m. Happy hour Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. So visit Props at the airport. You just take the airport boulevard exit off of Highway 1. When you get to Aviation Way, hang a left and you'll find 100 Aviation Way. It's the airport building and in it is Props Restaurant. Go eat 
Drink and enjoy. Props Restaurant and Lounge is open now at the Watsonville Airport. Tell them Charlie sent you. It is fun, so get up and go for it. Take the family, take the friends, take the entire neighborhood to the rip-roaring racing fun at Ocean Speedway in Watsonville. Friday night, it's USAC night number one at Ocean Speedway. Wow, we're racing USAC Western 410s, American Stocks, Four Bangers, Bay Area Dwarf Cars, Sport Mods, Adults $20, Seniors $19, and Kids $15. Or get the entire family in for only $55. Details at OceanSpeedway.com. Ocean Speedway is located at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds, just two miles east of downtown Watsonville on Highway 152. Get up and go for the loud, raucous, rip-roaring racing fun this Friday night at Ocean Speedway. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is terrorism expert and author of Talking to Terrorists, Dr. Ann Speckard. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that there is some growing evidence that the older brother who committed the bombings uh, or are suspected of committing the bombings uh, in uh, at the uh, Boston Marathon may have returned to Russia and had an opportunity to be indoctrinized um, because of the horrible tortures and um, violence which occurred there. And I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to continue with that thought, Dr. Speckard. Well, we don't know that for sure, but we found that over and over again that when uh, UK citizens of Pakistani origin uh, went back to Pakistan, they got radicalized um, by extremist groups back there. And I, I would guess that if this brother went back, he probably got exposed to a group that was really glorifying this kind of thing and probably telling just horrific stories. That stories that he may himself have resonated to because the older brother was quite a bit older when he left. Um, I, I'm not sure where they left, Dagestan, Kyrgyzstan. There's unclear routes. They're Chechen by ethnicity, but it's uh, different reports give them different pathways out. But all the same, he probably got exposed to this. And then what's happened is if the movement has spread to a wider movement, a militant jihadi movement, he's identified with victims everywhere, and he's also generalized his sense of revenge, not only against the Russians, but against all Westerners, which now includes us in, in the target, which is so terribly sad, because if this kid had a brain, uh, he would realize he got asylum here, we're the ones that gave him safety, uh, we provided a good life for him, and... Uh, it's so sad to see a kid's passions twisted by a group and an ideology to want to fight something that is wrong, but to fight it in the wrong ways. Well, and, and to strike out at the wrong target. I, I, I agree with you. It, to me, this doesn't feel like a logical decision making. This seems like more of a emotional, psychological need that someone has and it gets manipulated and 
and uh, and you know we've had that kind of manipulation around for many many decades, and so it just seems like it's getting perfected. And what I hate about it is that these militant groups are being predators. They're they're preying on those who are searching for some kind of mission in life, uh, some kind of way to plug a hole that uh, may be hurting them. It's, you know, That's speaking exactly from right. yeah, speaking That's from exactly my own right. perspective, uh, my reaction to incidents like Sandy Hook and the bombing at the Boston Marathon it is always is the same. And I just want to talk personally that I always feel a loss of control and I start to sort of feel like the world may not be such a safe place because, you know, schools, shopping malls and, and fun places like the finishing line of the of a race suddenly become dangerous. But you say that that's exactly what terrorists want, that they're trying to drive political agendas by making the public fearful. Do I have that right? You're exactly right. And uh, what we need to do as a nation, I, I heard that the mayor set up a fund for those victims, and we all need to contribute so that those people that lost their legs, uh, they're never going to get their leg back, but I hope we make them rich. I hope we give them a good life, that they have good incomes for the rest of their life from all of us donating, so that the message is, Okay, you can hurt somebody, but the rest of us come together and help the victims. And it's not going to happen at every race, and it's not going to happen in every shopping mall and every school, um, because they can't possibly pull that off. And the idea is to give us that feeling. We refuse to have that feeling. We need to go about our daily lives. Of course, in Boston, you can't right now. They're, they're shut down. But they're going to catch this guy, and sadly, he'll probably be killed or kill himself. And uh, I hope that we won't see more of this. And all of us have to reach out to anyone that we see that looks like he's getting lost, um, possibly vulnerable to uh, evil people. And we need to be the ones that reach out because that's things, something that we as Americans are good at doing, giving kindness, giving a compassionate hand, and remembering that we help each other to make this country great. That's right. But I think that in a way that fear sort of backfires and you're a little hesitant to reach out to people. Maybe people have extreme ideologies. Maybe they look different than you. Maybe they're acting odd. Uh, there's sort of this uh, inward spiral that occurs because as you get more fearful, you become more reluctant to reach out. And that's exactly the kind of wrong momentum that we don't want to perpetuate. And I love your idea that if everybody contributes, yes, uh, you may have taken this man's legs, but we're going to make him a billionaire. We're going to do everything we can through our own might, through our own money, through our own contributions to do everything possible to compensate for the wrong you have done. And I think that's that's such a powerful message. Exactly, because we, we need as a society to say we're not going to let these people be victims. We're going to stand around them. We're going to help them. We'll be their legs. And in and it's going to be, you know, in little $5 contributions from people like you and me. But all of us giving and saying, no, we're not going to let them be victimized. And we have to reach out. We have to push past our fears. And we have to remember, okay, these people were Chechens, but most Chechens are amazing people. They survived so much. They're all around the world everywhere and thriving. And Usually they really push their kids to get educated, just like these kids. They're smart. They work hard. They're nice. Uh, Muslims are, uh, for the most part, really good people. They follow their faith, just like Christians and Jews follow theirs. And 
every religion has the potential to be hijacked, and we've seen it in every religion. Right now we see it the most with Islam, but we have to refuse to be afraid of each other. Reach out and support one another. Now, you you talk a lot about the fact that the greatest defense against terrorism is to build up our resiliency. So explain what resiliency is and how do we do that? Resiliency is our... It's uh, uh, can you bounce back? Can you come back to your same level? Or, or do you even go higher than what you were before? And what you were describing... Are you there, Rebecca? Yes, I'm here. Oh, um, uh, what you were describing was... Um, uh, falling down, starting to become suspicious, feeling like maybe you want to isolate yourself. That's, that's negative resiliency, and we don't want that. We have to, um, of course, if you see somebody truly suspicious, you should do something about it. But, but isn't that a normal reaction? I mean, you see all these things going on. I, I'm worried about taking my kids down to the county fair. I'm worried about going to a parade. We have, uh, in the town that I live in, we have the Big Sur Marathon coming up. And, you know, I just, I have to believe they're going to be police all over the bridges and every other place. I'm, I'm not sure how to deal with this in my own life. I, I struggle between not wanting to give, to be a role model for fear in any way to my children or my community. But on the, on the other hand, I, I, I'm worried. I think you have to see this as such a, a low-key um, effort. I mean, these were two kids that... Uh, probably from a trip back to Dagestan, learned how to do it, or learned from the Internet how to do it. Um, this isn't a, a huge movement happening all over the United States. If we get something like that, if we get a campaign of repeat terrorist acts, then I would say maybe think twice about going to large crowded areas. Um, we saw that happening in Israel during the, the first and the second intifada, particularly the second one. Israelis were afraid to go out to restaurants and nightclubs and places that suffered suicide bombings. But that's not happening here. It happened once. We're not seeing any kind of a campaign. This doesn't look like a big group that has other events planned for us. I, I think it's a couple of kids that got sucked into extremism that made very bad decisions. And one's dead and the other one probably soon will be. The only thing I can say that as an evolutionary biologist that, that makes me feel a little calmer is the fact that this perpetrator is trying to run and hide. So at least their instinct to try to survive or stay alive is there. Whereas in incidences like Sandy Hook, they had no will to live. You know, they walked in fully expecting that they wouldn't survive the 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 attacks that they were making. Now I we have to take. I think those people are more terrifying. Uh, yeah, they are more terrifying. I, I think th those that are try to run and hide, at least uh, they've got something operating upstairs. Um, we have to take our last break. Um, please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. I'm always looking for creative ideas to take fresh salads to a new level. So I gathered a few friends together for an afternoon of ultimate salad making and salad tasting fun. We started with a variety of dole salad blends, a seasonal fresh fruits and vegetables, an assortment of our favorite toppings, and a room full of culinary imagination. The result was an inspiring day of tastes, textures, and togetherness. 
One of my favorites of the day was an Italian-inspired salad that started with the bold taste of dole arugula. We added sweet mandarin oranges, green grapes, and dates, which paired perfectly with the saltiness of the Parmesan cheese and sliced prosciutto to complete this salad masterpiece. Thanks to my new salad circle of friends and a little culinary indulgence, I've been re-inspired to push my salad boundaries. To help you get started sharing your own fresh ideas, sign up for the Dole Salad Circle email at dole.com slash salad. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now I hear that on the last Thursday of every month, the Caraccioli Tasting Room has become the go-to place in Carmel. As a matter of fact, I stopped by last month and it looked to me like a private party was going on. So tell us about that. Yeah, we've actually pulled together an Authors and Wine event that's going to reoccur on the last Thursday of every month. We're going to be bringing in a local author and have them signing their books, interacting with their customers, all the while enjoying some of our wines and small bites. And they're the last Thursday of every month, 6 to 8 p.m.? Correct. 6 to 8 p.m., the last Thursday of every month in our tasting room right on Dolores between Ocean and 7th and Carmel. It's one of my favorite places to go. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. There's a reason our sales are way up at North Bay Ford here in Santa Cruz. Put simply, we've got the best deals on the best vehicles. Hello, I'm Bobby Robinson. North Bay Ford is your locally owned dealership with low overhead, friendly, small town values, and great deals on new cars, trucks, and RVs. Get this, Bobby's Deal of the Week at North Bay Ford. Get the most from every gallon of gas with a North Bay Ford Fuel Saver Service Package for your car or truck. North Bay Ford Service Technicians will change your oil and all your filters. Check your tires in alignment, examine your brakes, and make certain all of your vehicle systems are optimized to get the most from every gallon of gas. Save money. Call North Bay Ford and make an appointment for a Ford Fuel Saver service package. When you need an economical focus for your college student, a new Explorer for Sunday drives, or a fleet of powerful F-350s for your Berry Ranch, look first to your friends and neighbors at locally owned North Bay Ford. 1999 Soquel Avenue, Santa Cruz or on the web at NorthBayFord.com. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio Program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Michael Olson's second law of the food chain. The farther we go from the source of our food, the less control we have over what's in our food. Now that so much of our food comes from thousands of miles away, we should all get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show tracks down who is putting what in our food. If you have a comment about the second law of the food chain, tell me. Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSEO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating Grunt Radio on the food chain. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is terrorism expert Dr. Ann Speckhart. Now, 
terrorism is a very complex issue. So one of the things I appreciate about your approach is that you avoid simplistic band-aids and you recommend a multifaceted approach to combating terrorism. And among your recommendations are reducing popular support, support for the terrorists and winning the hearts and minds against those who use attack on, attacks on civilians as a path to political influence. So tell us some of the tangible things that you would like to see us do to maybe undermine this kind of predatory practice on people that are vulnerable, young, especially young people that are looking for acceptance and a purpose or a mission? Well, it, uh, again, this is very contextual, Rebecca. So if we're talking about here in the States, I would say maybe uh, incorporated into our uh, eighth grade civics lessons and teach what the militant jihad is teaching and why it's wrong. That that it it jumps through a, a series of uh, rational argument, um, but also uses emotions. It uses pictures. If you get radicalized over the internet, if you get exposure to a group, it uses um, very emotional reactions to things that are happening in conflict zones, like pictures of little kids getting burnt up in a drone attack or something like that, and then they jump along a, a rational argument, but they make a few jumps that um, uh, aren't logical and somehow get to the end of justifying that you have the right to kill civilians because of these things. But I, but I see a huge cultural problem in that because fundamentally in the United States, we think that you have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. And so we're very passive and we're very reluctant to tell people, hey, that ideology is wrong or incorrect or harmful. Uh, we're very reluctant to do that. And so the, those who recruit and are constantly out there, uh, you know, injecting propaganda into people's minds, they win because we're passive. Uh, that may be so, but I think that um, as Americans, we can certainly come with the message of killing civilians is always wrong. No matter, because the confusion comes for these kids that they get the, the cause mixed up with a remedy and they think the cause is so terrible so whatever whatever has hooked their heart it's so terrible that any way of fighting back is correct and that's what we need to be teaching kids if we're going to try to inoculate some resistance here in the u.s so that everybody understands there there's never a justification for terrorism ever 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 you don't ever intentionally attack civilians to try to move the political process in the way that you want it to go. And let that be the litmus test. You know, why not make that the litmus test and say any ideology which requires you to turn weapons on innocent civilians, children, eight-year-old children, is wrong. Exactly. And you could teach that in a civics course in a way that... Um, you could you could show where abortion clinic terrorists who um, oftentimes use Christian uh, uh, scriptures have uh, justified killing abortion clinic doctors, where you could show um, whatever ideology these kids were following, uh, if it's the militant jihadi ideology. And you don't have to get into whether Christianity is the right religion or Islam is the right religion, just that these scriptures have wrongly been used to justify something that is never, ever right. It's Terrorism is always wrong. I think all Americans agree on that, no matter what religion they are. And that you could do as prevention. Then you could also start to think 
um, where do we have vulnerable populations and what can we offer them? Yes. And, you know, so that they don't fall prey. And, of course, um, our FBI and CIA and other security organs are fantastic, and they track these groups, and we want to stop their exposure to terrorist groups. So we want to stop them meeting them over the Internet, meeting them in person, and if they're traveling, we want to track that. And the better we do on that, the more we know. If this kid was radicalized over in Dagestan and we missed that, that he went back and forth, came back radicalized, uh, that's a failure on our side. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, we we may have not the net might may not have had a tight enough mesh for us to catch that information. But you would think nowadays, with uh, boy, with all the data that we collect, we ought to be able to trace that. Now, you also point out that the way that the media and the government leaders cover terrorist acts can either help build the public's re- resiliency or it can unintentionally energize terrorists. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, sometimes, um, well, the Chechens um, probably did the best piece of terrorism for getting um, uh, worldwide attention to Chechnya when they took over the Moscow theater with 800 hostages and then later took over the school with over 1,000 hostages. When they took the Moscow theater and... Um, threatened to blow themselves up and everybody in it, suddenly people were starting to talk about Chechnya and saying, oh, my God. So we have to understand that terrorism is very um, dependent on the media. They they want to get in the media. And, um, of course, when you're reporting on it, you have to tell what the story is and why you think the people did what they did. But we always have to be careful not to glorify it. Like today I heard a lot of people talking They were quoting terrorism experts, but they were talking about this kid, the one that's still alive, wanting to go out in a blaze of glory. And my husband and I both turned to each other and said they could have used different words because it's not glory. You know, he may he may want to, quote, martyr himself and even martyrdom. We have to be careful with those words. It's not it's not glory. It's it's not uh, true Islamic martyrdom. It's sickness and terrorism and killing and we have to use the right words so that we don't glorify their actions and get other kids interested in doing the same you're absolutely right i think we can we can kind of make it almost a romantic act that's memorable and i just don't want to give them that i don't want to give them that i think we're always struck and i know i was struck when i saw those 20 women go into the Um, Moscow theater with bomb belts on, I thought, what would make 20 women go and be willing to give their lives? I mean, that got me really interested. And any time someone is willing to sacrifice their life, it does make you think. And I think that's just human. But we shouldn't glorify that they give their lives while killing others. We should never glorify that. Yeah, and and I hope that other members of the media are listening to you and, and paying more attention to how they're reporting this. I know that once things get going, you know, we're up 24-7 to try to get on top of the news. And we don't pick our words quite as carefully as we need to. Uh, but I, uh, after, you know, reading your book and, and studying some of the suggestions that you make, I know that you have made me a better journalist. I will be more sensitive to how I describe these events because the last thing I want 
want to do is energize terrorism. Now, before we run out of time, uh, where can our listeners go to get more information about your book, Talking to Terrorists? Do you have a website? It's uh, www and with the e spacard, and that's like two English words: s p e c k h a r d dot com. But the book is sold on Amazon. It's told, sold on Barnes and Noble. It's on all the readers. You can get it through the Kindle. And um, I hope that it's starting to show up in bookstores. We'll see. I, I believe it is, and I hope uh, all of our listeners today will make a point to go out and get it. Well, there's our, that's our program today, but before we let you go, let me thank you for the work that you're doing to help us get to the bottom of the root causes of these senseless acts of violence. Thank you for your service, Dr. Speckhard. You're welcome, Rebecca, and thank you for your sensitive reporting. If your station is leaving us after the first hour, I want to let listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area know that I'll be giving my last speech on the West Coast this year at the popular Speak to Me conference on Tuesday, April 30th at 7.30 p.m. at the Mill Valley Community Center. For more information and tickets, all you have to do is visit speaktome.com. That's speaktome, S-P-E-A-K, to me.com. And if you're listening anywhere in the San Francisco Bay Area, I hope that you'll join us because we're going to have a lot of fun that night. Uh, I'll be giving a one-hour speech followed by, uh, who knows, days of Q&A. <laughs> the Q&A is always a lot longer than the speech. And speaking of fun, uh, my guest next week is former Senator Russ Feingold. This year marks the 40th anniversary of Watergate, so we're going to take an opportunity to speak with Mr. Feingold about corruption, money, and lobbying in our nation's capital and the effect the controversial Citizens United ruling is having on much-needed election reform. Don't miss Russ Feingold next week right here on your favorite weekly news magazine. Now stay tuned for the second hour of the Costa Report when we'll take your calls and find out what's on your mind. Now here's something to think about. If we're having the same problems in the United States that every other country is struggling with, then are these problems really domestic issues? At what point do we wake up and say, hey, if it's happening to everyone, it means it's happening to our species. That's why I'm asking you to read the Watchman's Rattle, because when you do, you'll see that the very idea that there are domestic and international threats is a myth. All of the problems we face today, problems like unemployment, debt, climate change, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, even the spread of pandemic viruses involve other nations. So please take a moment to pick up the Watchman's Rattle. It's a perspective you'll not find anywhere else, and it offers us solutions you won't find anywhere else. Get the Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. You'll be glad you did.
Start life over. Spend more quality time with your family. Take more vacations. Own your own business. Be healthy and earn the kind of income you've always dreamed of. Is it possible? Yes, with Longevity. First, you've got to see the video that is turning the medical industry upside down. Go to HealthyBody13.com. That's HealthyBody13.com. Watch this video, then pre-register for the Spring Longevity Convention May 2nd through 4th in Las Vegas, Nevada. And guess who will be there? Hi, this is Dr. Corey Gold. I'm taking the Healthy Body Challenge, and I'll be there. I'm Vanessa Hunter, VP of Marketing here at Longevity. I'm taking the Healthy Body Challenge, and I'll be there. Hi, this is Joyce Riley. I'm taking the Healthy Body Challenge, and I'll be there. Take the Healthy Body Challenge and don't miss the Longevity Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada, May 2nd through 4th. For more information, go to HealthyBody13.com or call 1-800-360-8695. That's 800-360-8695. From San Jose to Salinas, Red Hot News Talk, AM 1080, KSCO Santa Cruz. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.